Good morning, church. Good morning. Uh, the scripture for today is coming from Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 56. Hear the words of the Lord. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Merry Christmas to everybody. I'm Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church. And I just want to, uh, Kelly and I, I just want to thank you um, for last week um, for our appreciation. And um, it was awesome. Thank you so much. Um, just, I just want to also, um, I didn't get to do this last week, but thank um, my boys, Harrison and Clark back there. Um, you guys, be, for those who grew up in the ministry family, being a PK, I just remembered the times y'all, who I went, we went to lunch with after church, and we spent like two or three hours, didn't look at the end of the table, Harrison and Clark just sitting there, two or three hours, wanting to go see the Panthers game, but they hung in with us, right? Who's coming over today? Oh, we having a meeting? Dog, y'all got another meeting? You know, and... The Lord's grace has been work at work in their lives um, to, to do that. So we appreciate you, Harrison and Clark, for doing what y'all are doing. And I know that's... <laughs> and no, they don't appreciate me saying anything. Um, see, once again, PKs, like, why do you ask us if you want, you know, whether we wanted this? Um, and so I, I just... Um, wanted to also thank um, everyone who gave a testimony last week. And um, I knew there were some things that happened afterwards and emails that were sent out and because of some of the testimonies that we had last week. I'll tell you a story. When I was in um, college, for those of you who remember this product, I had, I used on my hair something called pink oil moisturizer. Anybody? Okay. How many of y'all got through on that pink oil moisturizer? Okay. This was before the shea butter days. Okay. So y'all know before the, the fancy oils they got today, you know, like the $12, you had two things. You had that queen was a royal queen or whatever it was huh 
Okay, you had that royal queen, and then you had the pink oil moisturizer, right? And for those brothers who wanted waves, you had the sporting waves. You just got the pomade, whatever. Well, I use pink oil moisturizer because, you know, as people in, from Charleston would say, because we don't know no better, I kind of had that Arab hair, you know, that, that Indian hair, that black people say good hair. I don't even know what that means, right? And so I use that, and those are all bad terms right now. I'm offending a lot of people in here, but that's just, that's our people. We go around, man, you got that Arab hair. What's that mean? You got that good hair. Ah, what's that mean? Somebody snuck in when they weren't supposed to sneak in? Yeah, okay, we moving on. All right, y'all, remember, just if you didn't notice, I'm black. I'm an African-American from Charleston, South Carolina. That's what you're getting. It ain't reverse racism. It ain't nothing like that. I'm just telling your story from my perspective. Take it, leave it. But I'm just giving you the disclaimer now. So I use pink oil moisturizer in my hair. As you can tell, a lot of people like that pink oil moisturizer. Everybody liked it except my roommate. Yeah, he was white. And I'd put that pink oil moisturizer on my hair. I mean, I would be looking good. And his eyes would be watering. <laughs> and his nose would act up. <laughs> Brother, with his country voice, you know. He's still a very good friend of mine. We still go to Clemson games together. Brother, are you using that pink oil moisturizer again? That stuff is terrible. He would be over there suffering. His nose would be all red. Right? I'd be laughing because I'd be looking good. Sm smelling good. Remember that oil moisturizer had that smell? Oh, my gosh. And it went with any kind of cologne. It just went together. But not for him. It was too strong. Right? He wasn't acquainted with it. It triggered something. He didn't know until he smelled it. But to me and others, it was beautiful. It was the way you celebrated something about yourself. The way you brought it out. It was, it was people smell me, go by, man, you smell good, bro. Well, not bro, but the girls would say that, right? You smell good, Howard. What is that? Pink oil moisturizer, right? Our testimonies are like God's pink oil moisturizer, ain't it? It's beautiful. It fits. It's right. But for many of us, it triggers things. For many of us, it's too strong. Maybe we're too young. Maybe we've been through something that causes a reaction. I want you to know that testimonies are often like that. We just recently went through the story of the woman breaking the alabaster box in a very unusual place in front of dignitaries, in front of religious people. And they were offended that this woman would come in the middle of a dinner honoring Jesus, right? That, thus a proper dinner and let her hair down. 
break open an alabaster box and the scent of that thing took over the room. She could have been thought of as very self-centered, right? She could have been thought of as unholy. But you know who they blamed? Jesus. They said, Jesus, if he, they said, if he was really a prophet, he would rebuke this woman for having such a show like this. I admit things are hard and we got to be careful. If there's triggers, if there's reactions, if there are things people can't handle. But one thing about testimonies that will not get lost in all of it is this is an offering of honesty and praise to the Lord, y'all. I just want to instruct y'all's heart on that. And for some people, it's beautiful. To others at the moment, it's offensive and triggering. But you can never say from what I heard last week that God is not glorified and praised by his great work. So we um, want to do what we need to do as leaders to care for those <laughs> who may be strong or trigger. But we also want to be careful on the other end to honor God. And for that reason, what happened, what was said, honored me and Kelly. Because we see a place here at Christ Central Church where people break open alabaster boxes before the Lord. And sometimes it doesn't always create all the reactions we want it to create. And since we've planted this church, just so you know, we've had multiple situations, especially in a church as diverse as ours can be. Each of you have your pink oil moisturizer testimonies, right? Welcome to a diverse church, right? The elders and I were talking on, on last week at the session meeting, and we realized, and I, almost, I was at Amari and Sharif's house last week, and we were hanging out and talking. I wanted to jump out the window, right? Like, it was a joke. Not really. I was like, I can't take it, right? This person thinks this is great. This person thinks this is bad. This person thinks this is evil. This person thinks this is good. And I'm like, is this what a diverse church is about with people of different ages and life stages and struggles and triggers and problems? And one person's great testimony to the Lord is another person's offensive situation. And I want to jump out of a window. Welcome. To a diverse community, y'all, with one Lord and Savior. And that means we have to be careful, and we have to be forgiving, and we have to understand that stories have many lanes here. Number of lanes. You want to be in a diverse church? Sometimes you take some hits. Trust me, as the pastor, me and my kids, we've taken some hits, y'all, of things people have said and displayed. But God's been good. That ain't the sermon, okay? <laughs> I urge you to hang in there. If, if, if there is a reaction, right? If there were some things that happened um, from what you may have heard, and you, we want to offer you help. We want to, some of you may experience something, may have awakened something in you that you forgot about or didn't know was happening, awakening something 
in, in you and your family and the young ones around you, and you had to have discussions and talks. We want to pray with you and pray for you, and please bring it. Not because we can handle it, because Christ can, right? And uh, we've been talking about ways to better equip this church to deal with issues of sexual abuse and, and th those sort of things. So please bring it, and we'll work through it together, okay? All right, that ain't the sermon. That's just one of them pastoral little diversity talks as we let the Lord do his work here. All right, so thank you, Brad. Yeah, I visited you at a psych ward, dude. Yeah. Thank you, Sharon, who went through some terrible things as a kid. But one thing is common. Man, they found hope and freedom in Jesus. Amen? Amen. parents I know it was tough thank you for hanging in there thank you parents thank you uh, we continue now back to the sermon don't put that in my time don't put that in my time because because Amari was like hey children in worship today too bad y'all gotta take one for the team too <laughs> right Y'all you, you, are in a church with a pastor who preaches kind of long. So take one for the team. You know, if it's me or Tom Henry up here, you know, you're going to be sitting for a while. Oh, who's preaching Amari? Yes. I know. I know where I stand. I got it. <laughs> Thank you, Tom. I am, man. So we continue in our sermon series entitled The Cast of Christmas, as in the cast of a play or movie or TV show. We're looking into the people who made the first Christmas story a story and seeing how it speaks into our own stories, into our own calls to be cast members in God's production of redeeming us in this world. This week, we look at Mary and in particular her song here in chapter one of Luke. Her story, her, her situation, as we'll see, it, it, should, it frees us to seek God and trust God and look to the Lord, regardless of where and who we are right now. There is a song for you to sing, especially this time of year. So Mary has been visited by an angel to let her know God is going to put his son in her womb. This has already happened. Never mind the wedding plan she had with her boo Joseph, right? To, to get married, to settle down, have kids of their own, find a good synagogue with, with plenty of young marrieds and an awesome nursery and children's ministry to be part of, right? And needing some encouragement during her early pregnancy, the Bible tells us earlier in this chapter that she goes to stay with her cousin Elizabeth for a few months because only another woman who just happened to be giving birth to a miracle kid, John the Baptist, at her old age, too old to be having a child, would understand a virgin mother. With the other having a baby or getting engaged, you know, but, but, uh, they, they kind of do it like, like I see women do, right? When, when they hear about each other getting engaged or, or having a baby, right? Typically. Whoa, 
Lord, wow. Everybody knows, right? Let me see, let me see. And maybe us guys should learn too. We should do the same thing. Whoa, wow. But I've always been told, don't ever say, are you pregnant to anybody, right? <laughs> you pregnant? No, right? <laughs> and with these unplanned situations going on here, they could have gotten together to hide and cry from shame and burden, right? But because God was using them, the Bible explains, they had a reason to be joyful that they were a part of the plan of God to save his people. They were mothers of the gospel. They were giving birth, humanly speaking, to the salvation of the world. And caught up in that excitement, Mary sings a solo. She kind of goes spiritually manic on us. Because these are God's words pouring out of her mouth, out of her soul. And her message not only tells a little bit about her story, it reveals three things about the Lord I want us to see this morning. First, that the Lord chooses and can use anybody. Secondly, that the Lord humbles everybody. And finally, the Lord comes to love anybody and everybody. When I say that God chooses anybody, I mean regular people. The majority world of the unextraordinary kind of people, like most of us in this room, who can be described as Mary describes herself and her status here in verse 46. She says here, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Verse 48, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, right? Mary is saying in and of herself that she is unimpressive. The effects of sin on her, on and by her family and her, can't be covered up as easily as some others. It can't be detoxed or paid or privileged away like some folk. She was unimpressive in and of herself. But what was impressive to her was that God would choose to pay attention and use a regular person for a supernatural holy and powerful work, that he would rest with them, that he would stop by, and in this case, live out his glory in a regular anybody like Mary. I mean, bring, I mean, being a regular anybody is hard, y'all. Which one of us here wants to be thought of as regular? What if someone were to ask to describe you, and I were to say, She's pretty ordinary. He's regular. We hate regular. Because of what regular means. It means we are regularly and normally broken by sin in this world. It means always reaching, never settled or content, always in the middle, never having and being all you can be, just stuck in that humble estate Mary talks about, in that normal human condition and estate of depravity. 
And here is where the Catholic assumption and teaching that Mary was sin-free is diametrically opposed to the passage here. Or even as I heard a pastor of a Protestant church preach a couple of weeks ago, that Mary had this extra special thing that it took in and of herself to be able to receive and do God's work. That she was special and that's why God chose her. But the word blessed, she uses here, as in the blessed holy mother, right? Means exactly as Mary defines it right here. That God has looked on the humble estate of his servant, that God has seen how regular, despised, rejected by the world, not wanted by many, not good enough, not only for this world, but before God. And he chose her and anybody of the world that that, that is what it means to be blessed. She doesn't say the generations would call her deserving or earning, but blessed. As in how could such a regular person, regular, real, bad anybody, be the body God uses for his divine purposes and production? Comedian become actor Tiffany Haddish talked about her first role in a major motion picture in the comedy Girls Trip. Opposite African-American actresses, veteran actresses Jada Pinkett Smith and Queen Latifah. And she talked about how, how, how she believed that you should never have a bag or a purse that costs more than you can afford to actually carry around in it. Right? If, no, if, no. If you're a guy, you can't say yes. Okay? You can't say that. So... Story goes, she showed up all regular at the shooting of the movie with a $45 Michael Kors bag. Yeah, there you go, $45 that she picked up from a vendor on the street. She didn't get it from the Michael Kors store. She got it from Michael around the corner. Michael was spelled with two C's. <laughs> and she says that when she went up to greet her fellow actresses, the fake glued on emblem on her bag fell off. She said it was so hot it melted off in the L.A. heat and on the ground. And Jada Pinkett was like, no, no, girl. You can't be an actor in a major role and coming to the shoot with this. And Tiffany Haddish is like, oh yeah, I can if that's all I can afford. I got $55 on me. She said that she was blessed just to be able to get that bag and be in the movie anyway. Jada Pinkett went and got her a real bag. I can't even remember the name of it. She said, you want to go on a jet to LA with me to go get this bag? And she was like, no, I don't fly. In no small plane. Right? And then she got her real bad. But Jada was kind of right. Why are you playing? Because potential is not enough in this world. You can't roll in all regular to a movie shoot. You can't be a superstar for the producer and director rolling in with a Michael with two C's chorus bag. 
I saw, when I said that she, she got a $45 bike, of course, y'all looking around like, where she got that one? <laughs> she got the change purse. Well, maybe not. Okay. That's 85? Okay. But God chooses the Tiffany Haddish on the first day folks for the biggest roles. And in his holy presence, yes, we fall apart. And we come off as humble and all their flaws and fakenesses are shown and revealed in such a way that God's acceptance of us, of you and me to be his daughters and sons has got to be his blessing of us in our sinful mistake-making brokenness. And when we see and accept that like Mary, our souls, as, as our first verse says, will magnify the Lord, right? It will show just how big and awesome and incredible it was that God would love a regular world of anybody's by sending his son Jesus to us and then into our story as if we matter to him. To know that blessing, to be blessed of the Lord, it will require being humbled by the Lord. And that is everybody humbled by the Lord, both the lowly and the mighty. Look, beginning at verse 49 with me. We're going to do a little bit of reading here. It says, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud of the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away hungry. Right? Is that what it says? Empty. In this song, Mary describes herself of being, as being in a humble estate, which is repeated in verse 52 when it talks about God exalting those of humble estate. And then apart from her being a Palestinian, monotheist, pregnant, unmarried teenager living in the Jewish ghetto of a Roman-ruled world, she explains humble estate in verse 53 as those who are hungry. And have to be filled with good things as if life has been filled with bad things for her. Or get this, she's been emptied out by all the bad things that have happened to her. Which echoes back to what she says in verse 49 of God doing great things for her. Mary isn't anybody. A poor, broken Living in the results of sin and the backwash of societal sins and social injustice, especially those toward Jews and Palestinians and women. And in the middle of that, she describes God looking at her, noticing her condition, taking an interest in her story, reading and knowing everything regular and despised about her as a blessing, as a blessing. And in verse 50, as mercy. And that is humbling to her. How? It creates and makes a who, me, God? Not me. Seriously? I, I think we, we, we really get here. Christianity and the fact of, fact of Jesus coming and living. You want Jesus to come live in your heart? You want to be saved? It's become so commonplace among us. 
Have you failed to recognize what we're talking about here? A holy, eternal, infinite, all-powerful, all-loving, all-merciful God is going to make his home inside the heart of someone like you and me. And she's like, what, me? Really? Seriously? Why would he be that good to me and through someone like me kind of humility? But there's another angle about being humbled I want you to see. To be blessed and then magnify the Lord is to say God has humbled. Or hear this now. That he has lessened. That he has alleviated, alleviated rather. That he's brought mercy for what has been heavy on me. Right? And about me and what has defined me and what has kept me from the dignity that he has for me. He has humbled my lowest state, right? He has humbled the thing that I give most attention to and has emptied my life with hope. He has humbled and destroyed and humiliated that which would have been all the reasons I should have been rejected and not loved and not used by God and not beautiful and not free. God has come into my life and humbled and suppressed those oppressive things. By noticing me and visiting me and coming inside of me. And now I am blessed and no longer filled or defined or, or dominated by what would stop me from being God's people or person. That, that I can live a life no longer filled with what makes me hunger for a sense of worth. God has humbled my mistakes. In my missteps, in my depression, in my abuse and neglect, or the oppression of being a certain race or gender or age, or living with limited abilities in my body, or the constraints of social injustices. God has humbled me by humbling the humiliating and degrading things about me. And in that, he magnifies his possibilities, his power. His plan, his purpose in me, despite all the regular anybody mess that I used to be defined by, still struggle with, and may even be burdened by. I don't know what's got you burdened. Or it's burdened you for years. But in Jesus, when he comes into our lives... He humbles what has kept us down. He humbles what has determined your fate for so many years. Some besetting sin. Something that happened to a long time ago. Some kind of issue that makes you afraid. He humbles our, our determined and determine our fate and destiny. And possibilities of being blessed of the Lord. And now we are called by God's mercy. And no longer by the thing that humiliates you. You can now magnify the Lord, which means magnify and focus on God's work and God's possibilities and God's power at work in your life, where, wherever we are lowly inside or out here in the world. But Mary is singing. More than a slave time spiritual here. How she's going to lay down her burdens at the riverside, right? We kind of like that. Mary's so nice. But she's making waves here. Serious waves. She's kind of like Lauren Hill and Nina Simone mixed here. If she declares something 
It's going to be hard for some of us to hear. She declares that not only is God going to deal with the loneliness she and others like her personally and as oppressed oppressed people might feel, but that God is also going to humble the mighty. Okay, hold on a little bit. Here we go. Look at the descriptions of who the mighty are. They are the proud in their thoughts and the thoughts of their hearts in verse 50. And then there are those who, they are those who sit on the thrones in verse 52, which means they are those with worldly influence, worldly power, worldly position, leaders in their nations or companies or communities. And then in verse 53, they are the rich. What's rich mean? Let's not spiritualize it. Those who have financial means and ways, power and privilege. Okay. What would you expect from this girl from the ghetto? Right? There's some conscious stuff here Mary's dropping, right? She's feeling good about her state now. You get somebody feeling good about this state, all kind of stuff come out. And the easiest and most natural interpretation of this song from Mary's perspective then that we can embrace is down with the man, power to the people, fist up in the air kind of thing. But we made it kind of like a Christmas thing. All nice. This Christmas passage that has been defanged, I would say, to make us feel safe and fuzzy is one of the hardest social justice passages in the whole Bible. Merry Christmas, right? I mean, look at the imagery. With God's strong arm, he's going to scatter the mighty, the powerful and the rich of this world. He's going to forcibly overtake and then not just make them middle class, But verse 53 says he's going to send them away empty. He's going to bankrupt rich people. Brings a whole new meeting to Black Friday at the holiday season, don't it? We're going to spend money and now God's coming to take it away. In the advent of coming of his son. I know I'm going to try to make it easier for us. I mean, look at the couplets here in this song, right? Let's look at verse 51 and 52. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate, right? And then look at verse 53. Look at this couplet. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. The little couplets, right? He's going to raise the the humble. He's going to fill the poor. And at the same time, he's going to get rid of the rich and influential. And he's going to, right, get rid of, make the rich empty. You hear it right. God is balancing and doing his humbling work with everybody by balancing things out. I know, man, I love, I mean, Okay, I'm not going to go there yet. And though Mary talks about the pride of the heart, which is everybody, we love that verse. He's talking about those who are proud in their hearts, right? He ain't talking about me. It appears that she is saying that God is taking from the rich and giving to the poor. That's what the couplets mean. He is favoring the poor and taking the hard earning. I deserved it. Respected by the world positions and money from the rich. If you're not blessed, feeling like you go around thinking you're hard work and you deserved it you are the ones on the thrones 
That is being proud in your heart. We'll get there in a minute. And it is tied to the blessing of the poor, right? To Mary's blessing, to what Jesus being born to do and be about. Because God is alleviating the oppression of regular folks like Mary by, and, and getting his son born by pushing the rich and powerful evil oppressor off their backs, which requires some regulating of their arrogance and position and power and money and privilege. Let's face it. Many of us would not like Mary. Because she getting all, you know, proud, it seems, herself. This poor girl from the ghetto get together with her cousin and they start talking in code. Right? About rich people being dealt with. About things being regulated. Mary's a lot like Truth's Table, ain't she? She coming with this social justice thing out of the voice of a woman. And in our minds, in our society, women of a certain race and caliber shouldn't be saying such things. The people who've worked hard and earned hard to get all they get. What? You're just a pregnant, unwed teenager. What you got to say? We wouldn't invite Mary back to our talks. Not with this kind of, um, it sounds like socialism to me, right? Let's take, God's going to make the, make the rich go away empty and he's going to fill the poor. We don't like that. Look, I grew up in a meritocracy, meritocracy too, right? Where I, like, I work hard and so I earn everything I get. And so I tell God, you can't take it from me. I'll say to God, you know, I've worked so hard. I, look, the rest of our friends, they playing around. I'm doing it the right way. I got my degree. I worked hard. I didn't have nothing. And I got ahead and I'm there. I'm sitting on my throne. God doesn't have the right to take me off of that throne. We believe that so much that we have redefined Christianity. And what Christian needs is supposed to be. We have this Judeo-Christian work ethic, right? That has become idolatrous to us. That we've worked hard and we've earned it and they've been lazy. And we use terms like lazy and they don't know what to do or they're ignorant. And you got it and everybody else does it. And somehow we equate that with just strong, moral, American, good, uh, Judeo-Christian living. And yet Mary is saying the complete opposite. She is saying that kind of thinking is what it means to be proud in your own heart and not live blessed. I'm not talking about hashtag blessed. You put it on your license plate. But some of us believe we're blessed because we have exploited the opportunities this country has given us. Those. She doesn't say that the mighty should lose it because of how they got it. She doesn't say those who stole it should lose it. Or those who didn't work hard, she doesn't make the differentiation. No, she says those who, as verse 50 says, don't fear the Lord. Or in verse 51, have proud thoughts in their hearts and who come to him in their own righteousness. Who believe they are good enough to come to him. Self-righteous, privileged, arrogant to come up to him and ask. He will send them away. 
Now, let me tell you this. This is so interesting. God will say something that the mighty and rich and privileged are not used to hearing. No. God, what about me? No. God, I've worked hard. No. No. You don't get in like that. I got a degree, but I don't care. I did all the right things. So, no. You know, many of us in here, we ain't used to hearing no. And if we hear no, it's somebody else's fault. Because you deserve it. You know, that's a clear sign. You, you, don't, you ain't living blessed. I'm going to send them away empty. What? Nobody privileged or who worked hard goes away empty. That's not the way it works. Imagine all your life getting what you want. And then God says, nope, empty. And as a middle-class dude, again, who thrived on meritocracy of the United States, having grown up in a middle-class world, yeah, I did. Where if someone says no, again, something must be wrong with them. This God and this gospel, this Jesus coming, maybe should make us scared. People like us, oh, privilege, overachievers. Some of you got me in that area. That's fine. But so I don't go, I don't want to be accused of reverse racism. I include myself among those who sit on some kind of throne. I'm privileged. Both my parents have degrees. I grew up in the suburbs, all of that. My street address was nine. You know what I'm saying? I had a cul-de-sac. I went in the woods and built a fort. Come on, y'all. Mary is not just saying, be afraid, rich, uppity, powerful, in charge, and government people. But you better what? Come to a place where you, and if you want God to bring you to a place like verse 50 says, that you would come to a place where you fear him. What am I saying? God's blessing for the mighty is humbling. Hear me. Humbling what is great about ourselves. If you think you got privilege and the answers are yes, God's going to humble you by saying no. How does he do it? God is, okay, as much as I want this to be about a heart thing and I want to spiritualize everything, yes, as verse 51 says, he does this by humbling and changing our hearts. Our hearts are proud. But like everything else suggests, he does it by bringing real holy hardship and hard times and brokenness in our lives. There are people with huge bank accounts, incredible heritages in this country, privilege, that God has taken one or two things in their lives that money and privilege can't fix. A broken marriage, a sick child, an abusive situation. It's almost like your privilege. How can I fix this? And the answer is no. Seen it happen. Maybe it ain't your bank account. Maybe it ain't your privilege. For his holiness and goodness and mercy for our lives, God will put things in our lives where we have to declare like Mary, God has looked with mercy. Mercy. 
on my humble estate, regardless of what my bank account says. Some have experienced bankruptcy. Some have experienced the, the stock market falling. Some have children that won't come home. It don't matter how many Bible studies you did or how many good ways you lived or how perfect of a parent you are. God calls you to be humbled and blessed. Here, here, here is where his coming and bring of social justice good news for everyone. Because when he alone is magnified as a great and holy and powerful and merciful one, we learn to love horizontally and extend dignity toward other people. And praise to him and even right blessed dignity to ourselves for all the mess we are dealing with. To come to a place that our lives magnify and show and display his grace and not what we've earned and not what we haven't earned, right? That we are pregnant like Mary with God's grace in ways that might bring us up or down in this world, but it's all for his glory. You want to praise God like Mary? You want to sing a song? You want to declare, I'm blessed. Let something go wrong in your life. <clears throat> Be in a place where God has to reach in your humble estate and give you mercy. You ever been to a church of people who, I'm just going to say, on the oppressed side of things? I've been to plenty. Storefronts. Folk ain't got no money to buy no building. They be worshiping for two and three hours. Why? Why y'all worshiping so long? We got things to do, man. I got tickets. I got to get home. People worship God and sing a song like Mary because they know the mercy and grace of God. And they say, my soul magnifies the Lord, and I can't magnify him enough. Yes, yes. Yes. Let me close this out. If we look at the ending words of Mary's song, this verse is a sample. Read it. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. This verse is a sample, y'all, a throwback to the promise originally made to Abraham when he promised that somehow God would be Abraham's God and the people descended from him's God and that, and, and that they would be his people, his children, with this added caveat. That those people, with that blessing, bring the blessing of being God's people and, 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 and God being anybody's and everybody's God, that he would bring that truth to the whole world of people. And technically speaking, Mary is just as central to that blessing as Abraham. And being pregnant with Jesus, who will be the one who will fulfill the promise to the Jews and then to everybody in the world. When she says that all generations shall call her blessed, she was declaring, coming through me is the seed of hope and grace for salvation in the seed of woman. In the womb of a woman comes, through the, comes the promise to redeem and save and rescue and love everyone from the poorest to the richest, from the most religious to the most irreligious, that anybody and everybody can actually be somebody who knows the love, grace, Grace and mercy of God for their lives. And the word she uses for that kind of grace and power and love in verse 54 is the word helped. Did y'all see that? The word is also translated lift. 
or lifter. And then it also means embrace or embracer, a hold, to hold, a holder. And it has this feel to it as, as I read it and researched it. It means like, like when you see a child on the ground crying or lost, hurt or lonely, and recognize that, you see them and you take notice of it and being moved by love, you reach down and you lift them up and you bring them to yourself and then you hold them tight to never let them go from your arms, keeping them yours and never letting them go back to the same terrible life ever again. That is the help towards the promise of God she's talking about. When we talked about the humbling of everybody or the lowliest state of being anybody, God wants us to know and recognize what you already know and feel. With or without money or privilege or position, we feel forgotten and orphaned and abused and lonely and used. Or we're just on a rat race, just trying to make it happen and prove ourselves in this world and earn our way. Weighted down by neglect or poverty or burdened by pride and entitlement. Mary is saying God and Jesus has come to lift you into the embrace of his arms and never let go. And whatever, whether you have ever felt that as a child or can only imagine what it is like, Mary is saying Jesus comes to allow you to be embraced and embrace the Heavenly Father and, 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 by, and be embraced by Him with perfect and never failing love and mercy. Can you feel that? Do you at least long for that? Man, if you're rich, man, it's hard. If you're in privilege, it's hard. Because guess what? You know it ain't going to be a matter of time before you die or the throne goes away. I've told this story before. I'm going to tell it again. Kelly just told it the other day to a group of people. We were going to a party. Had our kids. Clark was little. And there was a bottle underneath the seat. And I reached back thinking that was his bottle because he was crying so much. I gave it to him and he drank it and he started crying more. I'm like, be quiet, man. We're going to the people's house. We can't be crying, right? So I go in the back. I reach down. I pick him up. I embrace him. And he threw up in my mouth. <laughs> right in my face. You know how you try to... Nope. You ingested. Right? That, that was sour milk that he drank in his stomach. And after I embraced him and he threw up, he was good. <laughs> and I'm like, bye, 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 right? He was free of what was making him suffer, and I suffered from what was painting him. Remember the dichotomies and couplets in Mary's story? He lists with the poor and will bring down the prideful. In order for you and your poverty or your pride, the things that stop you from knowing the love and embrace of God has for every kind of person from every kind of brokenness, we must recognize and let Jesus embrace our poverty and be condemned and stained and soured by our pride so that we can be free for God to accept, embrace, and hold us by grace. Jesus left his throne and came into our poverty. God's mighty hand struck Jesus down so that his loving arms could hold you. What a savior. Are you ready?
to be embraced by a God like that. And for those who live in that embrace, when you tell a broken world as you magnify the Lord, as you testify, like we saw last Sunday, if you sing like Mary to what it means for God to love you, will you sing a new song to the world and to the world that declares and joins our sister Mary as one who carries the story and seed of God's promise in your heart? Would you sing? My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are both lowly and mighty in so many different ways. And you're graced in areas where we've been proud. Is you've taken out of us out of control in our lives. You've brought all kind of things in our lives that we had to say. Look with mercy on our humble estate. Lord, some of us here are so burdened by so many things. We just can't get up. This world. Whatever it may be, where we live, our race, our gender, our age, whatever it is, God, our tax status, whatever, Lord. Our debt load, what we have and don't have. None of those things stop Jesus. He is a Lord for the mighty and he is a God to the lowly. Lord, I do pray right now that you would give us the gift of your embrace this Christmas. Let us just throw up, throw out all our pride and all our brokenness onto you, Jesus, Son of God, so that we can know your grace and your embrace. Please, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.